Yes. Oh, every day is a good day when God comes. Amen. Of course, when you get old like me, we say every day above ground is a good day. Yes, it is. So, this morning we're going to talk about being a vessel of honor. Turn with me in your Bibles, your devices, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. I'm going to read verse 15 and then skip down to verse 19 through 21. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in their great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Paul sounded like we were under severe attack and might not stand up against the rising tide of deception and wickedness. And, and he's trying to convey this message to Timothy, who's one of his protégés and is going to end up pastoring there. And he says, but he makes it clear to both himself and to us that are in the kingdom of God that it cannot be shaken. For the kingdom of God will not be shaken. And Paul had to exhort to Timothy to take courage and to action, and he encouraged him to work hard, persevere, have endurance for the Lord. Because sometimes when we do the Lord's work, the enemy just kind of creeps in there and kind of discourages you, kind of put people in your way, kind of take away from the work that you've been called to do. And each of us has a different calling on our lives. They're not all the same. But God has a good work for you. And if you're out in the workplace, your job is to be the best employee you can be. Amen. Because everything you do glorifies God. That's right. So we have to remember that. Timothy's goal was not to present himself approved to people, but to God. That should be your goal. But as social media has such a quite a stronghold on society and the culture today, everything is trying to impress people, trying to impress someone else. You know, you see these, oh, I did this, and oh, I did that. And, and everything is just coming like you're trying to impress someone. Your pictures are not really real sometimes. I mean, you get into some of these apps and some of that, you know, I had friends that were on dating apps and they said, geez, I looked at the picture of this person and when I met them, they were like 30 years older than their picture. <laughs> you know, and then this kind of thing goes on because we want to try to project ourselves so great to our brothers, so great to our neighbors, so great to the world. But the world is not who you need to impress. Impressing the world is going to get you nothing but maybe a nice casket. You know, you impress enough people, they'll put on a good funeral for you. But God has a home for you. And God has work for you to do. And he wants you to be a vessel for him. So we have to learn, we have to strengthen our confidence in who we are in Christ. Because that's the identity that matters. Is who we are in Jesus. I mean, every believer is going to be tempted at times. Every believer is going to be tested. I mean, we are constantly tested by God because he continually wants to grow our faith. If your faith is here today, he wants it there tomorrow and there the next day and there the next day. He wants you to keep strengthening yourself, keep relying on him, trusting on him. And the same deceptions the same issues, the same problems 
happened in biblical times as they do today. Yeah, they didn't have Facebook and they didn't have Instagram and Twitter and all these things, TikTok and WhatsApp and all that, Snapchat. I mean, I was listening to somebody the other day and they, they were talking to a young girl that used Snapchat a lot. And he said, what is your, what is your Snap score? And I'm like, you know, a Snap score? They get rated on how much they post and what the good replies of their posts are. You know, and, and she responded. So in biblical times, you had just the word of mouth. And we all know that how that goes. Because we can sit at one side of this room and give a number and pass it through you. And by the time it gets through about eight of you, the number's going to change. Yep. So, I mean, the word there it was just as unreliable as it is today. But God... He's trying to, Paul wants to remind Timothy is the same. He's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. He's not gonna change, and neither are his principles, and neither are his statutes or his laws, his commandments, they're all gonna be the same. The foundation that you build your life on has to be a foundation of God. Doesn't matter how many times you fall away, you fall away, you backslide a little bit. But if there's true repentance in your heart, God forgives you. Amen. Scripture says he forgives your iniquity, your sin, and he remembers it no more. But he encourages you not to do it again. I mean, the woman that was caught in adultery, Jesus says, hey, I don't condemn you. Just don't do it anymore. I mean, how simple is that? But when people get out and they start to profess their own views, whether they're standing up in a pulpit and they're putting out their opinions or what they believe, which is their opinions, if they're putting out that, if they're altering the word of God, that kind of stuff spreads like cancer. Yeah. I mean, it goes. I mean, look at the prosperity gospel. I mean, that's just false gospel and it just spread like wildfire. Mm -hmm. It's like a cancer, it just goes and it captures an audience. But the solid foundation of God still stands. The word of God has its seal. The seal of approval on the word of God. The standard, the guarantee of God, it's still the same. It hasn't changed since the beginning of time. No matter how people, what people say, what people believe, it still stands. No one can deceive the almighty God. And Lord knows that probably everybody in this room has tried at one time or another. No, God, I really didn't mean that, you know. I really didn't do that. And God looks down and says, yeah, you did. I really didn't say that. Well, yeah, you did. So we've all tried to pull the wool over the Lord's eyes, but it can't be done. Even the attacks from the power of darkness cannot shake and cannot stand up against the doctrine and the foundation of God. No matter what the enemy throws, God will always be victorious. Now whether or not you're victorious or not kind of depends on your faith and where you stand. Because we as humans sometimes we we tend to believe that we know more than God. We tend to act like we have more knowledge than God. 
And we're able to convey that. And there's times we'll take someone and we'll try to convince them that our way, even though God says this, we believe our way is better and God will accept it. But that's not really what it says. That's not what scripture says. So no matter what storms we face, no matter what the weather conditions are in our spiritual life, God's foundation is still the same. You know, the, the story of the three pigs, I'm going to huff and puff until I blow your house down. The wolf says, well, you can huff and puff all you want, but you're not going to move God. You're not going to move his house. That foundation is firm. And according to the Apostle Paul, the Lord knows who's are his whose his people are. He knows. You can sit in a church for your whole entire life and God not know your name because he knows you haven't given him your heart. You haven't surrendered at all. You just sit there. And I've seen that. You that have been in churches for a long time, you've all seen it. You've all seen people come in and just spiritually blow by somebody because they just grow up so fast spiritually because they're hungry and someone else just sit there because they don't chase after God. God also knows that if you're his, he's never going to lose you. He's never going to lose you. He's not going to get up one morning and say, oh, geez, what did I do with pastor? Where did I put him? <laughs> He's just not going to do that. He knows who is his. He knows who you are. Numbers 16.5 says, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. What does that mean? It means that God has chosen you and he's opening up the doors to say, come in, come in to me, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Amen. Come in, come in. And so sometimes, you know, like there Rose was talking about faith. Sometimes our faith gets weak. I mean, some of us got battle scars like no tomorrow because of the wars we've been through. But God still knows who we are. We don't always know whose are his. You may think someone's not right with God, but yet God knows they are. There's people that are in your life that you don't trust they're walking the way they should be walking. Yet, they are. It's just the perception that you have. It's something. You know, like when the Pharisees said, as Jesus was speaking in the synagogue, isn't that the carpenter's son? Well, to them, he's always going to be the carpenter's son. To them, they're always going to be the prostitute, the alcoholic, the drug addict, the gambler, the cheater, the embezzler. But to God, you're his. To God knows what you've done. God knows you've changed. Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's our spirit with the Holy Spirit saying, yes, that person is a child of mine. He's a child of mine. Psalm 1.6 says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish, for no one can overthrow the faith of any whom God has chosen. Amen. So you may get knocked down sometimes. You may feel like there's people walking on your back, stomping you. God says, if you hold on to your faith, 
You hold on to your faith. Nothing will defeat you. Nothing will set you back. You know, God himself, you can picture, he's not sitting up in heaven in the, in the reclining throne, wondering and worrying whether you're saved or not. Nor will he, does he hope or wonder if you will make it to the end. He knows who is his. He knows. He doesn't have to think about those things. He knows who's turned their life to him. So then the scripture tells us to let everyone who calls on the name of Christ depart from iniquity. To change our lives. To depart from a worldly lifestyle. To let that go. This is the second inscription found on the foundation of God. It is true that God knows those that are his, and he calls those that are his to leave sin behind. That's what he's told us all to do. Stop sinning. No matter what it was before you came to Christ, he said stop doing it. Some might say, hey, I belong to the Lord. I know I'm his. I'm going to heaven. Yes, Lord, I answered the phone. Hi, Jesus. It doesn't matter so much how I live. Yet the son has forgotten that those are the two inscriptions on the, on the foundation of God. We always try to take the word of God and, and move it into something that is believable for ourselves. We try to just kind of take the edge off of it and say, well, you know, God knows who I am and he trusts me and it's okay if I do this. No, it's not. No, it's not. There are two and those who are his will have the desires and the actions to depart from iniquity. So what God is really saying to us, if we're really his, if we really belong to him, we will have the desire to sin anymore. Our hearts will have been changed. We will depart from iniquity. The first seal marked it for the Lord. The second secured its removal from the common stones around it. First comes God choosing us. And then comes our sanctification. And every professing Christian has both of these marks. We've both been chosen and we both have been being sanctified. God knows we're coming from an unclean environment. God knows when we surrendered our lives to Christ, we weren't living with the Lord. But he's willing to accept that. Then verse 20 comes and says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I mean, Paul uses this picture of God's building as a foundation stands, and he uses the picture of of a great house. You can use the picture of the New Jerusalem. You can use the picture of the throne room in, in heaven. But Paul says there's a variety of ves vessels, bowls, plates, vases, and other such things. And the church is indeed a great house. And it's a great house because it belongs to God, not because it belongs to us. But it belongs to God. So he goes on and he is explaining this thing and how the house is designed and what the great architects have done, but no architect in this earth could make anything like what God has planned. No architect could ever orchestrate your life the way God has plans for it. For God has hopes for you. He has wishes for you. He has plans for you. 
He wants to make you a good vessel. And Paul uses these things as plates. Now, most of you, if you've been around a while, you have more than one set of plates in your house. I mean, I got, Rose got plates that I only see at Christmas. I see them once a year, they come out. Don't know where they are the rest of the time. Don't have the faintest idea. And then we have another set of plates that if somebody's coming over to eat, those come out. And then we have the everyday, what we get to use every day. And Paul's just making this comparison that some of these things are good, some of these things aren't so good. But God has a great house. And it took a great cost to build the house of God. It took a total surrender on your part. It took a desirable faith. What does God tell us in Scripture? In heaven there are many mansions. And there's a mansion just for you. The streets are lined with gold. But the most valuable thing that happened is what Jesus did on the cross. There is nothing that this world can produce. There's nothing that this world can give other than the power of the cross. What God has done with his son on the cross. So it says vessels of gold, but also of wood of clay. Some are used for great honor. And some we just kind of like a paper plate and just throw it in the trash when we're done with it. So therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, the latter things of dishonor are gone away. They're thrown away. And we have to remember just who we are. What's he talking about? As he says, Paul says to cleanse ourselves of the ways. Cleanse ourselves from the affairs of life. We have to cleanse ourselves from the way of everyday life because everyday life will drag you down. If you're out in the workplace, you're working with people that don't have the same belief system as you, don't have trust in God the way you do. They may live a totally corrupt lifestyle you have to work with them every day and you can't bring that home with you you can't get caught up in that we can't get caught up in the ways of the world because we're not of this world we are not of this world another thing we have to stop doing is backsliding I remember when I first got saved I, you know I thought okay this is great you know I'm saved I'm going to heaven I'd run down to the altar they lay hands on me, your sins are forgiven, boom, boom. Okay, good. Guy, you go home, start the week all over again. Party all week long. Come back Sunday, down on the altar. Ah, oh, your sins are forgiven. You're brand new. Good. To go do it again. So what God's talking about. He's talking about surrendering yourself and, and just stop doing that. Amen. Change from your wicked ways. One of the hardest things to get over is unbelief. Because the first time you get put in a trial, the first time you get faced with a test, the first time a storm comes up and you feel like you're in that boat that the disciples were in and they're getting tossed and turned. And just like you, your faith gets tested real quick. You know, do you run out and try to fix everything yourself? Or do you trust God to take care of it for you? Amen. Unbelief can really get to you. We have to stay strong in our faith. Our faith has to grow every day. How does that happen? Prayer. Reading God's word. Another thing is false doctrines. They'll destroy your faith. And there's false teachers out there, believe me. They come into all kinds of places. They're just there. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand and know how to 
know what is of God and what is not of God. They talk about the profane, idle babbling that leads to ungodliness. I mean, that's what in today's society you would call the water cooler conversations. You know, you've all seen those, you've all seen enough TV to know what I'm talking about with the water cooler conversations. The idle idol babbling. And Paul warns against this. Now maybe in his day it was done at the well, where in our day it's done at the water cooler, but we have to stop it. We have to watch out for the false teachers that will come and try to deceive you, and they will just move things just a little bit. They can change just a word or something, and it, it changes the whole meaning. You have to be aware of those things. You have to be aware of all iniquity and dishonor that we bring before the Lord. But the main, the main aspect of cleansing ourselves comes as we trust Jesus. And we trust the work that he does on our behalf. For the work of cleansing is really God's work in us. It is not our work. You know, I remember I used to go down on Sunday mornings and pick up people from the BOC, put them in a van, drive them up to Coover City, unload them. Now these weren't church people. They just were people. And they would get out of that van. Some of the girls weren't dressed appropriately for church, but they were there. But every single one of them, when they got out of the van, ran to this gazebo, and they lit up their cigarettes. I mean, it was just a cloud of smoke. And I dropped them off one morning, and the lady, as I parked the van and come walking into the church, and you can see the cloud just over in the gazebo, because it was right outside the front doors. And they just, they saw these Greeters are like, oh, oh, why you bring them here? Why you bring them here? Look at them smoking. Look at the way they're dressed. Why you bring them here? And I looked at her, and I said, it's my job to get them here. It's God's job to clean them up. Amen. And, and we have to remember that it's not our job to clean people. It's God's. Right. It's God's. John, 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9. Almost every one of you know this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say some. It says all unrighteousness. So why, brothers and sisters, do we hang on to a belief that so-and-so isn't forgiven of their sin? So-and-so is unrighteous. So-and-so is this. Are we Pharisees? Are we Pharisees? Because that's a Pharisee attitude. But God says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. Now, unless you've got a microphone and a camera sitting in my house and I sinned, you're not going to know I confess my sin unless you're watching me. We're not the sin police. We're not the sin police. Our job is to lead people to the Lord. Our job is to disciple them and teach them scripture. And as you get to know scripture, you teach it to someone else. It's the greatest system of multiplication you can think of. 
Because as you walk into a place or you run into somebody that you haven't seen in a while and they see something different, they see like a light shining because you're to be that light on the hill. And they say, wow, you've really changed. Yeah, there it is. Yes, and I changed because Jesus Christ changed me. And there's your perfect opportunity. And the next thing you know, we got another brother or sister into the kingdom. And it gives us one more person to bring to the Bible studies, one more person to bring into the house of God, and then sooner or later they run into somebody, and the same thing happens again and again. And that's how we build the kingdom of God. We must become sanctified. We must become useful. To be saved, to be sanctified, and to go and sit home doesn't glorify the kingdom. We have to be able to spread the word of God. Even some of us only get out once in a while. That's fine. So get out once in a while. But share the word of God. Experience. Share your experiences. Because you all have them. And you all have great experiences. Every one of you has probably an excellent testimony. Amen. Now, all you got to do is share it. All you got to do is share it. You don't have to fabricate anything. You don't have to glorify anything. You don't have to have eight by 10 color glossies of your, of your thing. Now, this is my testimony. This is an eight by 10 color glossy. You can see me here. Let me show you the video. We don't need to do that. We just got to be honest of who we are in Christ. That's all. And we have to be honest of who Jesus Christ is. That's all. We don't have to add anything. We don't take anything away. We must never think that some Christians are better than others. Some, yes, have more talent in certain areas than others. I mean, there are a lot better preachers out there than I am. There's a lot better singers out there than some. There's a lot better musicians. There's a lot better this. There's a lot better that. That's not what we're here for. We're not to compare ourselves to those. We're not to compare ourselves to other churches. Amen. And that tends to be a hard thing sometimes. Well, this church does this. That's not the way we are. Our church does this. As long as we're glorifying God, as long as we're moving ahead, we're doing good. Amen. Some Christians are more able to be used by God than others. I mean, it's just an absolute fact. You know, some people are healthier than others. Some people got more energy than others. Some people have vehicles, others people don't. So how God can use you depends on how accessible you are. Amen. But there will come a time when each and every one of you is gonna be used by God in one way or another. And it might be when you least expect it. But as long as we've cleansed ourselves, we can be useful for God. He tells us to be prepared for every good work. We must not think of being useful just by primarily in the sense of serving in the church. I mean, of course, God wants people to serve. Pastors want people to serve. But God wants his people to do it in the workplace, in the school, in the home in their community, in all those places. We have to do it, wherever we are. I mean, I get into where I live, we have this thing called the Tiki Hut. And we sit down there with a bunch of, a bunch of gossiping old people. You know, and you, once in a while, they'll ask me a question. And I, got, I answer scripturally. I'll answer it. I'll tell them how I feel. I'll tell them what Jesus did. 
But if I push too much, they see me there, they won't come. So you just have to kind of ease into it. You know, we almost got into a conversation with one that is a devout Catholic. And I'm not. And the conversation, it went okay. But he tried testing me and I, I just wouldn't let him. But, uh, you know, we have to watch ourselves too. But the other, one time we heard, we were down at one of the pools where I live and I baptized people that day in the pools and uh, I'm sitting down in the tiki hut the next day and the people come over and they go, did you baptize a bunch of people the other day in the pool? I'm thinking, oh, they must have watched me out their window. <laughs> I said, yeah, she said, that's great. That's the least thing I expected from her. But she was excited. So it's exciting, it doesn't matter where you are, where the opportunity is. A lot of you share in restaurants with waiters and waitresses you have. A lot of you share, you know, in the workplace, you share with your friends, you share on social media, which is a great vessel to get the word of God out. But God has a calling for each of us, and you all have the potential to be a vessel of honor. Not a vessel of dishonor, but a vessel of honor. You're a gold plate. You're covered in silver. God is using you. You're the fruit of his spirit. Now you have to produce fruit of your spirit. Your conduct, clean or unclean, set apart from God or not set apart from God, useful to Jesus or not useful to Jesus, really matters. Which side of the fence you're on because you can't walk on the top of the fence. You gotta be on one side of it or the other. Just pretend the top of the fence is covered in razor wire. You ain't walking on it. So you gotta be on one side or the other. But what side of the fence you're on depends on how God can use you. So how do we cleanse ourselves? We, for, we forget those useful, useless desires we had as kids. I mean, as kids, the lust we had. When I was a kid growing up, I mean, it was cars. We all wanted to play with cars. They had a, they had a great place about five miles from where I lived. We'd go down there drag racing, doing all kinds of things. A friend of mine had a really nice 55 Chevrolet. His first drag race, he dropped the drive shaft. Boom. Right on the beginning. It just, boom, down it went. But it was a beautiful car. We have those youth, youthful desires, the, the lusts. We chase after this, we chase after that. I gotta have a better car than so-and-so. I gotta have a better look at this than that. You know, I need a trophy girlfriend. We need this, we need that, you know. Look at me, I'm going out with a cheerleader. Oh, whoopee. You know, I mean, we got so crazy. We, you know, I grew up in the 60s, so we were chasing rock and roll bands. One night, a band that we wanted to see was playing, I think, in Daytona. We're in New Jersey. So we all got in a car, drove down to Daytona, went to the concert, and drove home. Youthful lusts that were meaningless. They meant absolutely nothing. We have to flee from those kind of things. I mean, we have to, and you have those lusts that you want, just don't entertain that kind of thing. Don't challenge them. Don't let them endure. I know people that will go out and test themselves and try to test their faith. You know, let me see if I can walk into this bar. I know I'm an alcoholic, but let me see if I can walk in this bar because Jesus is with me and not have a drink. Why test yourself like that? 
But if you know people that'll do it, it's so easy to fall back into sin. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and you know, we described, you know, you're trying to climb a ladder of righteousness, and it's so much easier to fall off that ladder right back into sin. It's much easier to fall down than it is to get up. So we got to get rid of those kind of things. We got to not chase after those kind of things. And, and sometimes we try to do that. Chase after things, test ourselves. Am I strong enough to face this? I couldn't face it five years ago. Can I face it today? Why test? We got to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Cleansing can just not be a matter of avoiding bad things, but it also must include pursuing good things. We can't drop away from doing everything with, that was bad or harmful or sinful in our life and not go after something that is strong and good and new. Pursue peace with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. To be cleansed, we must do everything to be right in our personal relationships with others. Cleansing needs to extend how we treat one another, how our relationships go. Paul wrote in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You're the one in control of that. No one else can control how you live with your neighbor. Bad relationships can really hinder your walk with the Lord. They just do. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. We've all had those. Been mad at one another, not talked to each other for months. Over what? Oh, you left the cap off the toothpaste? You know, I mean, you've seen fights like that. Disputes, uh, how come every time I go there, you leave the tube off, the cap off the toothpaste? How come you always squeeze it from the middle and not at the end? <laughs> you get your tube, I'll get my own. My first wife and I used to argue all the time about gasoline. Because she had a car and I had a car. And we both knew, I mean, we're college educated. We knew that cars ran on gasoline. She just didn't know where to buy it. So every time it was here, take my car. I knew where my first stop was, the gas station. Ignorance, stupid. Disputes. You see those in churches all the time. I had somebody get into a great argument at Cooper City one time. I was working, believe it or not, the hospitality man thing. Actually, I was in charge of it and I had 40 care ministers under me. And I sit down, these people in these chairs, and it's theater seating where they are. And I, and I walked back to where I was going. Because we were always told that we had people sitting in certain areas of the sanctuary. So that, you know, the first time visitors, there was always one of us near them. And I'm sitting there close to them. And I look over to see how they're doing. And there's this one guy just standing over him like this. And I knew who it was. So I went up to him and I said, what are you doing? He said, they're sitting in my seat. So what do you mean they're sitting in your seat? That's my seat. So obviously I got right into that. Let me see if I find your name on it, was my reply. And of course that just elevated things. Rather than me just saying, hey, I'm sorry I put them there. You know, it's their first time here, sit somewhere else. 
you know, <laughs> let me find your name on this chair. You know, I mean, places are full of those kind of things that are absolutely meaningless. But the enemy will use anything he can to disrupt your peace. He'll use anything he can to lead you back into sin. He'll use anything he can to be, teach you or keep you from being a vessel of honor. And that's what God wants. So we need to be a servant of the Lord. We need to be a vessel of honor. We must be empty of all things worldly. We must be clean, we must be available. We must empty ourselves of all those little things that keep us from working the right way with God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand, come on. Oh Lord, a solid foundation of God stands. It has a seal. The Lord knows those that are his. And if you're his, God knows who you are. He knows your name. He knows everything about you. He knows every thought you've had, had will have, and are having. He knows it all. And he also knows that you need to let all iniquity depart from you. Become a vessel of honor this morning. This morning, if you need prayer for any reason, if you want to just strengthen your walk with the Lord and have people pray over you, we're more than happy to do that. We don't want anybody to leave here the same as they came in. Your strength is in the Lord. For he is holy. He is one. So Lord, we just come before you this morning, Lord. We come before you, Lord. Cleanse us, O Lord, of all unrighteousness. Sanctify our hearts, Lord. Make us draw closer and closer to you, Lord. Let everything that we have be in a breath to you, Lord. Breathe on us, Lord. Let your presence, let your presence guide us this morning, Lord. O Lord, we come before you. We come before you broken vessels, Lord. But today we're going to leave vessels of honor, vessels of distinction, vessels, vessels, Lord, vessels used by you, vessels used by you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we just come before you, Lord. Oh, Lord, you are wonderful. You are wonderful, Lord. Oh, so wonderful, Lord. So wonderful, Lord. So wonderful. Oh, Lord Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You are wonderful, my Father. You are wonderful, my Father. You are wonderful, Lord. You are wonderful. Oh, Lord God Almighty. Oh, we cherish your holy name. Oh, Lord, we cherish you this morning, Lord. Oh, Lord, yes, Lord.
Lord, we come before you today broken and humbled by you, Lord. We humble ourselves, Lord. Hear from us, O Lord. Hear from us. Hear from us as we humble ourselves before you, Lord. Heal our land, O Lord. Open up the floodgates of heaven and let it pour down upon us, O Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you all.